Before thee let my cry come near, O Lord, true to thy word, teach me before thee. We are thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through His Word. Let my lips thy praise confess, yea, of thy word my tongue would sing, Greetings this Lord's Day in the name above all names, the name of our Lord and our King, Jesus. Greetings. He is above all principality and power, above all the rulers of the darkness of this world. Our conquering King is to be feared and obeyed. God will have all his holy will. Amen? Amen. Psalm 47 says it this way. It said, Oh, clap your hands, all you people, and shout unto God with a voice of triumph. For the Lord Most High is terrible. He is a great king over all of the earth. He shall subdue the people under us and the nations under our feet. He shall choose our inheritance for us, the excellency of Jacob, whom he loved. God has gone up with a shout. The Lord with the sound of the trumpet. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises unto the king. Sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing ye praises with understanding. God reigneth over the heathen. God sitteth upon the throne of his holiness. The princes of the people gather together, even the people of God of Abraham, for the shields of the earth belong unto God, for he is greatly exalted. Let us pray. Lord our King, we come before you today so thankful Thankful this in, in this week of giving thanks. Thankful most, Lord, that you are God. That you love us. That you have invited us into your presence, Lord, to worship you. Lord, that although we have been covered with the crimson stains of sin, Lord, that you have washed us and made us white as snow. Although we were contrary to you, Lord God, you became a man and live the righteous life that we will be credited with in heaven. Lord, we come today asking for your forgiveness, knowing that you can offer it to us. And Lord, we come today hungering and thirsting after righteousness, knowing that the food of heaven will feed us today. Lord, speak to us. Let us hear your voice. Change us by it, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. And all the church said... standing for just a few more moments as I read for you my text today or my sermon God laughs 
but men yoke. Psalm 2. I'm going to read the whole psalm. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak to them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with the rod of iron, and thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear, and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry, and you perish from the way, when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are they that put their trust in him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you now, praying that we indeed will hear from you. Lord, that your word would speak to us, Lord, that it would embolden us to do the works that you have given us to do, Lord, that it would give us the strength and the courage, Lord, to face our enemies, Lord, with brave hearts, we pray today, Lord God, that this indeed would lift us up, Lord, that we would walk as true soldiers in the army of the cross, conquering alongside with you as you conquer the world. In Christ's name we pray, and all the church said amen. amen. You may be seated. I've used the quote a couple of times, and I'll probably use it over and over again, the quote from Steve Lawson that he said when Luther taught through the Psalms, it did something to him. He taught through the Psalms before he became the great reformer that uh, started the Great Reformation. He taught through the Psalms and then he began to teach through the book of Romans and he, what Steve Lawson said was, if Romans gave Luther his theology, it was the Psalms that gave Luther his thunder. This is a thundering psalm. Everybody say a thundering psalm. psalm. It's a thundering psalm that calls for us to see it and to hear it as it was written. This was not written in timidity. It's not written in quietness. It's written with a slam of a fist upon the pulpit that says, So why do the heathen rage? Why do they rage? And it's a question that we should ask today. And as I was praying with the men up here, I began to think, not only, that's not the only question we should be asking today, but we might want to ask the question, why do we? Why do the heathen rage? But we may want to ask ourselves, why do we? Some scholars believe that this psalm, since it comes with no introduction, you know how some of the psalms come with to the chief musician, or it comes, this should be sung on this certain occasion. This psalm comes without that type of an introduction, so because of that, they believe it is the second half of Psalm 1. And if you remember from Psalm 1, we were teaching for a couple of weeks about the blessed man, the man who does not walk 
in the counsel of who? The ungodly. He does not stand in the way of sinners. And he does not sit in the seat of the scornful, but he delights in God's law. The law of the king of heaven and earth. Everybody say the law of the king. This man meditates on God's law day and night. This man who, unlike the perishing chaff, will not be driven away by the wind. No, this man will be substantial. He will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth his fruit in his season. His leaf shall not wither, and whatsoever he do, whatsoever he does, shall prosper. The man will be fruitful and blessed, but the ungodly will perish and be forgotten. Whether or not Psalm 1 and 2 are meant to be one psalm, the message from Psalm 1 continues loud and here, loud and clear. You can hear almost a boom when you get to Psalm 2. Psalm 1 takes us to a height that says, we shouldn't be like this. We shouldn't do this. We shouldn't do that. But we should love God's Word. And we should love His law. And we're going to be blessed. And good things are going to happen, but the ungodly are going to perish. And we get to Psalm 2. It's kind of like uh, a jet that's kicked in its afterburners that's began to break the sound barrier because it's this, if we were listening to music, it's where the stereo system would get cranked up and become more boisterous. It's where the bridge and the breakdown would come. No pause, no intro, just, why did the heathen rage? Can you hear it, Steve, almost in a song? You know, blessed is the man that walketh not in the council, you know. He's like this, but then, why do the heathen rage? As if someone screamed out in this moment the absurdity of their actions. Why indeed do the heathen rage? Rage all you want. Rage as big as you can. Your resistance is futile and will utterly fail. Not only will you fail, but you will actually accomplish what you aim to destroy. This is a psalm of godly bravado. This is a big God, little man psalm that sets the record straight. God is great and greatly to be praised. If we do not praise Him, the very rocks will cry out, as it says in Luke 19.40. The heavens declare the glory of God in a speech that all the world can understand, and the firmament shows God's power and His handiwork, as it says in Psalm 19. From the rising of the sun, let it be known that God is great and greatly to be praised, as the psalmist saying in 113. Let the rivers clap their hands and the fields be joyful together, as it says, and we sing about all the time in Psalm 98. Jesus, the anointed one, the Messiah, the Jews had long awaited for, came as God had promised. He was the eternal Son of God, the Word that created all things, now in the humble human form of a man. He was born like all earthly kings came in weakness and in helplessness. He was cared for by others, but he was like no other king. His kingdom would have no end. As he grew into manhood, he proclaimed the good news that those could hear about the coming of the kingdom. He was the king of his new kingdom. His miracles displayed his God-given authority over all things as he healed the sick, multiplied loaves and fishes, walked on water, and even raised the dead. And like they had at Babel, the people gathered together to inspire, conspire against God. That's what they did when Jesus was born. They tried, the, the demons of hell conspired. What can we do? We'll do this, we'll do that. They, they sent and they killed all the people of the land, right? Trying to kill the baby Jesus who had been born. Herod wanted him dead. The kings of the earth. That's what they do. They try to stop God. Do you know... This is funny. 
I mean, would any of you try to stop the wind outside? Would any of you go outside and hold up your hands as though somehow, Andy, you could... The wind's blowing a little too strong in your house outside there, Paul. And you're just like... Only in a cartoon would someone do something so stupid. But it's what men do. Men are stupid. They're foolish. They think that somehow... That the little hands that they hold up can somehow hold back the wind, much less hold back God. They had built a tower which they thought would reach to the heaven. They were going to pull God down. They were going to rule him, they thought. Now, we know the story very well, and we know they could not and that they did not, right? The very thought is what? It's laughable. Really? They're going, I mean, Derek, when I read the story, I think, how stupid are these people? We're going to build a tower, and we're going to reach up, and we're going to grab God and throw him down. Really? Got to be the dumbest story ever. Why do they rage? That's what, that's what the psalmist is saying. Why do they do it? Why do they rage? It's rhetorical. They rage because they're stupid. They rage because they're prideful. They rage because they believe that somehow what they're going to do is going to stop what God is going to do, but they cannot. Amen? And you know what's funny? We know it. And we laugh at them. But we do it ourselves. Now, we're not trying to stop the anointed one, but what we do is we rage against the rules of our king in his kingdom. We don't like them. We don't like them when they cramp our style, when they affect us, when they you know, alter the plans we have for our own lives. We don't like them, and so we're not the heathen, but we act like them. There is imagery here in Hebrew from the original language in Psalm 2 of this scene from Genesis 11, Nimrod city. They gather together, they plot to overthrow God. They exert themselves greatly in this work, showing all their power and might. Oh, they are very impressed. Men are very impressed at themselves. I've never seen an aircraft carrier, but I bet you if I did, I bet you would have impressed me. Right? The men who first saw the first atomic bomb go off and watched it in the distance as a mushroom cloud exploded and incinerated miles of whatever was beneath it. I'm sure that was very impressive. I'm sure their tower was like, maybe like one of the great pyramids or maybe one of the ziggurats of the ancient world that still stand today. Very impressive. I, I can't build one. People, people drive everywhere, Becky. They go, they want to see it. Wow, look at this. Wow. I think it's so funny. We ooh and we ah and we go, wow. And the God of heaven looks down and what's he do? <laughs> well, they're going to they're gonna reach me with this tower. And they're going to pluck me down. What we see here is they conspire against the Lord and his anointed. There's a double meaning here in the psalm. David, of course, and all the kings of Israel were what? How did they become kings? They were anointed by God. It was a picture of showing that it was the power that they received. As Romans tells us, there is no power but of God. And when God gives men power, he gives them, the, he anoints them with power. And he anointed King David here. But we also know who the anointed one, the anointed one is what Messiah means. It's what the Christ is. We know this for sure because of the sermon we heard Brother Andy read for us from Acts chapter 4, which we'll get back to a little bit here. 
So what are they are conspiring? They're saying here in this psalm, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. You may say, oh, I, I kind of know what this means, but if, if you, you have to look a little bit deeper into the original language to get their actual meaning. And so the two things being pictured here are a yoke. That's why I said God laughs, but men do what? They, they yoke. Men are under a yoke. You guys know what a yoke is? You kids know what a yoke is? You ever seen cows? Right? Cows who plow. Have you ever been over to the farm over there, Slate Run, and you'll see the giant oxen. They put them together and they take the wooden yoke and they put on the shoulders of the oxen, right? And the oxen have these ropes tied to... Uh, the, to the yoke and it goes back to the plow and as these oxen walk and they begin to pull it is a great powerful thing right and it plows up the ground that's why your cars I don't know if most of you know this they, they call cars horsepower because of course we used to pull everything with our horses we used to pull things with animals and so these these cords these Bands, the bands are the yokes and the cords are the ropes. And these ropes are not just regular ropes. They, have you guys ever seen how a rope is made? If, if you see a rope, a rope is the little tiny strings, right? But it's, the, it's a whole bunch of them and they, the way they wind them and wind them and wind them into a cord. And that's what is being pictured here. These aren't just regular ropes. These are, these are super strong ropes. This ancient imagery was used by kings and conquering armies. If you've ever been to one of the great museums that we have in our country or in other countries, you will see pictures of this in artwork, but you may not know what you're looking at. You'll see a group of men, you'll see soldiers, and they got their spears and their swords, and you'll see these other guys. Have you guys ever seen a picture of this? And these other guys will have their hands tied behind their back, and they'll be walking, and they'll be, they'll be bent over like this, and you'll see a... a, 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 a yoke for oxen and they make all the people walk under it can you picture the imagery here guys what are they saying they're saying we have just dominated you we've just controlled you we've just conquered you and now you're under our yoke now you're my plowboy. now you're under my dominion you can see this this ancient practice was in practice in this time it was practiced by the Romans. There are several, uh, several great masterpieces that have this in it. And it's known as passing under the yoke. This imagery is used a great deal. It was done so that people would know who ruled over them. Here in the psalm, the heathen are conspiring to say, we are not under your rules. This is what people hate. People hate God's law. It's taken me a long time to really understand and to grasp this whole thing. I always thought when they were saying they're, 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 they, they don't want to be under God's law, I thought it was that they were basically you know, saying that there is no God. But I think everybody knows there's a God. That's the absurdity of the human condition. Man knows there's a God. What he doesn't want to do is he doesn't want to, for that to mean anything for him. He wants to cast off any responsibility to God that knowing God exists demands. Amen? 
And not only do they do it, but we do it too. And I found this guy, his name is F.W. McDonald. He was a Wesleyan cleric who lived in Yorkshire, England. He said this, and I thought this was, this was, this was pretty awesome. So you can fall asleep after this if you're going to do it this week, all right? He said, there is a spendthrift who is resenting the bands of economics and arithmetic, who says in regard to plain and accurate cash statement, he says, I will break these bands asunder. And in his foolishness, he makes the attempt, but he cannot divert from the inflexible proportions of the laws of parts and quantities of plus and minus considerations. Now, if that's too heady, you know, Shakespearean language for you, he's saying it's the guy who thinks that because he wants to, uh, Heath, he can say pluses and minuses don't mean anything. He can say that two plus two is five. Now, we know how silly that is, right? It doesn't matter. You can, you can say whatever you want, but if you have two apples and you get two more apples, you're never going to get any more than four apples. It won't matter what you change and how you mess up the math, right? Math is unmovable as God is unmovable. He says, He may wish that 10 amid 10 should make 25, but no matter what, they will not. He that sitteth in the heavens, he who is of the great fixed proportions of the universe, they will not bend to amuse the prodigal. They will not break to gratify the spendthrift. They claim their value and issue their writ. And the man who has lived and spent as though two and two made fifty is the object of laughter in the law of arithmetic and is by it had in derision. Are you hearing this? You see, man thinks he's so big. He thinks he's so important. He thinks he's so capable and he's so impressed. And God says, you know, a man, there's nothing a man can do that can change his stature. There's nothing a man can do to change his real, you know, color. Can a leopard change his spots? We can't even bend a tree. Go, go find a little tree bent out somewhere that's been bent for the last 20 years, Heath. And it won't matter if you put your truck on it and your dad's tractor on it and all the people in your family put cords and you pull it. You cannot straighten the tree once it's bent, can you? You cannot. You cannot. And yet, we're so prideful that we try to shake off God's bands. So what is God's response? It says his first response is laughter because that indeed is what it is. It's thinkable. Creation can somehow pull down, can overthrow the creator, humorous for them to think that they can break the unbreakable yoke and cast off his strong cords. I was talking about this in Myanmar, Andy, and I was trying to help him understand God's sovereignty. And so I had this picture drawn on, the, on, the, on this whiteboard. I don't use whiteboards because I can't draw, but so I had, there was one of our team members who was good. So my goal was find something that our team member could do, right? So he can draw. Luke, if you ever come to me tomorrow, have you draw stuff, okay? Uh, so, and I know Amy wants to draw stuff, right? Amy's, Amy's coming. She's wanting to go to Myanmar. She's hearing about things we're going to see. i got to go to do this. It's going to be fun. So I had this whiteboard, and I had him take a picture of all these bad guys, and all these bad guys had swords, and, and, and then I had him put nasty faces on them. They look mean and nasty, you know? And, and, and so I said, now, so these, what if these guys thought they were so tough that they could throw spears at, at, at you and you're outside of the picture? You drew the picture. So I'm like, I'm like, Michael Larson, I'm like, okay, erase all of their spears. 
and put smiley faces on a wall. And so he erases all their spirit. I'm like, see, they're not so bad. They're not so bad. And so we were making fun of them, right? They're on the page. They are totally under our control. We could erase their spears and we can give them boxes of candy. We can take off their scowls and put smiles on their faces. We can, if we want to be mean, if we want to be rough, we can make a big tornado and, and have it blow them off of the page. Woohoo! Right? It's kind of funny, right? So what's funny is that the creation, that the thing that man, uh, you know, that's we are man, we're created by God. We're like the picture drawn on the whiteboard. And to think that we'll go, you know what we'll do? Look at us. We got these swords and we're really tough. And, and look, we have this really big giant thing here. We'll, we'll come outside the page and we'll beat up the guy who drew us. Imagine it. It's kind of funny, isn't it? I think it's funny. God's laughter continues, but it darkens as we read here in the psalm. It says, the Lord shall have them in derision. Now, derision is not a word we use that much, so you might not be familiar with it. What it means is that God mocks them. So not only does God laugh at them, but he begins to mock them. Some of you have a little bit of mean streak in you, right? So not only do you laugh at people when you play basketball with them, Andy, but then you begin mocking them, right? And you wonder why your kids do it, right? No. How many people do trash talking on the, on the basketball court or at the ping pong court, right? You're like, yeah, not only you're no good, but I'll just go ahead and play behind my back, right? I'll, I, would you like me to put a blindfold on? Would that, would that make things, you know? Rush Limbaugh jokes around. He says, with half his brain tied behind his back just to make it fair, right? There's something about mockery that's really, really irritating, but God does this. God not only laughs at men, but he mocks them. And Elijah does this. The best example I could find of mockery in the Bible is from 1 Kings 18. And uh, I won't go into this too much, but you know, the very place where he does it, you can go visit it. You can go visit where Elijah and the prophets of Baal, they know where this happened. Isn't this amazing? Do you guys know I'm going to go there? Some really nice people uh, made it possible for me to go. I'll try not to throw it into your face more than 150 times before I go, but I'm going to go to Mount Carmel. I took my child to Mount Carmel, and I'm, I said, you don't want to read about Mount Carmel more. And I had actually, uh, I was in the middle of working on my sermon. I'm like, yeah, that's right. That's the perfect place. You guys remember what it says, right? Elijah says to the prophets of Baal in 1 Kings 18, choose for yourselves one bull, prepare it. Call upon the name of your God, and, and, but don't put fire to it. And they took the bull that was given them, they prepared it, they called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, oh, Baal, answer us. You know, God talks about this. And when I saw this in Myanmar for the first time, it was so shocking. He said, men will go out into the woods, and they will cut down a tree, and they will take half of it and carve it into a god, and bow down and worship it. And the other half, they'll split the wood and build a fire and cook their food with how absurd, right? Oh, Baal, hear us, oh, Baal, they cried. And they jumped and they said, oh, hear us. But guess what, guys? No answer came. They limped around the altar. And at noon, Elijah began mocking them. And he says, you know, you should probably cry louder. Maybe he's really thinking about something. Maybe he's relieving himself. 
Maybe he's on a journey. Perhaps he's asleep. And maybe you need to wake him up. Now, guys, this was me. And this was mockery. Guys, the heathen should be mocked. You know, we get mocked by them enough. They make fun of us constantly. We're the butt of their jokes. And folks, they are that to be laughed at. They think there's something. That's what this psalm is about. This psalm is about they think there's something, but God not only laughs at them, but he mocks them. I think God was mocking the state of California. That's what I think is happening. They have made it to where you, no one can have a toilet that flushes more than one gallon. They've made rules and regulations so much so that people are wanting to move out of the state because they're so completely insane. Right? They're wanting to control emissions. And then God burns millions and millions and millions of acres of their forest. Now, what do you think? Do you think the, 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 the SUV puts out more emissions than, you know, 20 million? I mean... The, the fire that happened two weeks ago was 100,000 acres. How many SUVs do you think it would take to, to, to make up for 100,000 burnt acres of emissions? You may not see the folly of uh, the, the, the mockery that's going on. God has a city in California they've named Paradise and he has it burned and it's gone. And you might go, well, I don't know if that's God. I, I think so. I really do. It's like when they bragged the Titanic, it's so big that even God can't sink it. That's what was said of the Titanic before it what? People should be very careful about what they say about God because God will have the last laugh. You see, God laughs at first and then he mocks, but then his laughter turns fearful. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And all men should fear God. Verse 5, Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. God goes from laughing to mocking to judgment. And you know the thing that came to my mind is I was kind of I was kind of glad. Like when I, when I think about evil and ungodly men, I kind of like think they're going to get what's coming to them. And there's something in me that kind of goes, I can't wait till that day comes because I'm tired and I'm sick of hearing them making fun of Christians, making fun of Jesus, making fun of our holy faith and saying it's this. And I go, I can't wait till they get theirs. But then I remember the scripture because the scripture says that judgment begins, but it doesn't begin with the heathen. Who does it begin with? It begins with us. Be careful for how excited you get about the judgment of other people. Because before they ever get judged, judgment must come to our house. And how do we rage against God and his rules and his laws? How do we read the Word of God and decide that we're going to find a way around it or find that it's okay? It's not that bad. How do we lie? How do we steal? How do we not honor our parents? How do we not love our God with all of our heart, soul, and mind? How do we dishonor the Lord by doing what we want to do on the Sabbath rather than obeying God? And it's all fun and games when it's laughter and bravado against them, but when it's us, we realize 
that we're guilty as they are. Matthew 11, we read how Jesus taught the 12 and he said this, and I thought this was so beautiful in light of the, uh, of the meaning of this psalm. He was praying for the 12. He had been training them and they were about to go out and he's, and, he, and he's praying for them. He says, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven. This is in Matthew eleven twenty five. I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for it seemed good in thy sight. All things are delivered unto my Father, and no man knoweth the Son but the Father, neither knoweth any man the Father, save the Son, whomsoever the Son will reveal him. And in the light of Jesus saying that he had the power of heaven, here's what he says. And I, I never would have put these two things together until I had preached this sermon. But Stevie says this, he says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, folks, we are made to be under the yoke of God. Amen? We were made for his cords to be fastened to us, for to do his work. The Bible says that we are uh, created in Christ Jesus, that we've been saved for what? To do the works which he has what? Ordained that we should do. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke's easy and my burden is light. When we take the yoke of sin, when we do wrong, when we cast off or try to cast off his cords and break his yoke by, by breaking God's law, by sinning, by willfully doing what is wrong. When we do this, we're putting on the yoke of sin. Men had been under the tyrannous yoke of sin for 4,000 years since the fall of Adam in the garden. The onerous taskmaster was a lie and a cheat and a spendthrift and a miser. The yoke was burdensome to the point of utter despair and misery as the world came from under the reign of sin where the rich and the strong live in luxury and the rest of the world hovered in the brink of starvation and death. You see, that's what the yoke of sin does. That's where it leads. They were marred enough by sin to see themselves as free men, though. They were so foolish they could not see the heavy yoke and the strong cords that lead only to death. And that's what we do too. When we think we're getting away with it. Dealing with some of my children. Sometimes I, I think. They, they don't understand. They think that when they break God's law. That somehow it's going to be okay. That it's no big deal. It's no big deal to break this command. And no big deal to break that command. Because well God forgives me. Yeah he forgives you. But the Bible tells us that when we've been set free from sin and we willingly sin, that we put ourselves under the yoke of it. And every, everybody sins, but when sin is finished with us, it leads to death. Elizabeth, that's what the devil wants to do to you. He wants to yoke you in the sin of rebellion against your parents. That's what he wants. Why? Because it'll be the death of our relationship and of the beauty and the happiness in our home. That's what he wants. He wants that for you. He wants that for you, Rebecca. And when your mom and dad try to say, no, put on Christ's yoke. Obey him. His yoke's easy. His burden is light. There's something in the human spirit, boys, that says, I don't want to do that. I want to do what I want to do. 
And the reason that your mom and your dad bring you to the Word of God over and over, children, the reason why we do it is because we don't want you under the yoke of sin and death. We want you under the yoke that is easy and the burden that is light. Amen? Jesus was here to lead them out of the slavery of sin like Moses had done. He brought them out from Egypt, but they were so accustomed to slavery that they feared they would lose their freedom instead of gain it. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest to your souls. My yoke is easy. Everybody say, His yoke's easy. His burden is light. If you've been sinning, if you've not been obeying God, if you've been breaking God's commands, you are wearing the yoke of sin. Cast it off. Amen? Christ has given you the power to cast it off. The devil comes to me. He tempts me and he says, oh, put this on. This will be great. I remember this week, Heath, the devil come to me and, and tempting me. And you know what I said? Come on. Shut up. Who do you think I am? How stupid do you think I am? I'm not wearing your yoke. I'm not wearing your cords. I'm wearing the yoke that Christ put on me, the yoke that's easy, and the burden is light. Sometimes I think too timidly, we just roll with it, and, and we're just dominated by our own pleasure and our own desire to do what is, what is wrong and what is sinful that is against God's law. As if somehow it's going to be going to be a good thing. In his final days here on earth, Jesus made this even more clear in Matthew chapter 21. Like Joshua led the people after the death of Moses, Jesus came from the Jordan through Jericho up the long road up to the Mount of Olives, a picture of conquest much more complete than Israel's failed attempt. You see, they would not cast out the Canaanites. But this campaign of Jesus was not going to fail. He was God's anointed for this task and he would conquer. Down he came from the Mount of Olives up Mount Zion toward Jerusalem through the Golden Gate. That's what they call it. The King Gate, the Messiah Gate, the Golden Gate into Jerusalem to the temple. You know, there's also another name for this gate. It's called the Beautiful Gate. They've got it closed up, you know. But I'm going to go there. Because you see, no king. The Muslims covered it up. They're like, we don't, we're, we're afraid someone else will ride through that and they'll claim to be king. So they, when they took Jerusalem, they filled it in with stone. People say, the Jews who still believe the Messiah is coming, they're like, if he made it all the way there, he's not going to let a few stones stand in his way. He'll open the gate himself. He came to the gate at temp, the beautiful gate, the golden gate at Jerusalem, riding on the colt, never ridden on before. Hosanna, blessed be those who come in the name of the, he who comes in the name of the Lord. Coats and palm branches were laid in his pathway. As he goes in the temple, he overturns the tables. He drives out the money changers. And I love what he does next. <laughs> is, it, is it what I would have done? He throws out the money changers. He comes in riding as a king. And you know what he does? He invites the lame. And the blind. 
And he begins to heal them right there. Wow. That's amazing. This is my father's house. It's not your house. You can't do with it what you want. The Bible said he spoke with such great authority. Well, I wonder why, Andy. He's the king of glory. This is his father's house. Sometimes I don't think we think of the church like that. We don't think this is my father's house. What goes on in pulpits and in churches is, is laughable. As men decide that they're going to do whatever they want. Well, we'll just do this. We'll just redefine marriage. We'll just allow this. No. What did Jesus do? He brought the lame and the blind in there and he healed them. This is my father's house, he said. He retires for the night to Bethany where his friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead, live. But he comes back the next morning. Not finding a fig on a tree. When his hunger takes him to it, he curses the tree and they were just amazed. Wow. What kind of power? He's saying, this is my father's house. This is my father's world. This is my father's tree. Everything here is mine. Mine to command. Mine to own. Mine to rule. And we say, oh yeah. Is he ruling you? Is it commanding you? Or are you doing your own will? They marveled at his display, his awesome power of display over nature. And he says, why are you marveling? You're marveling because you obviously don't know who I am. Don't you understand? This is my world. He said, see that mountain over there? You could just be cast in the sea. God could take his eraser and just erase the mountain and he could draw it right in the water. Could he not? But yet we don't see God like that. We see him like we see ourselves. So you know what the Pharisees did, Jason? They decided to question his power. He was coming to the temple. The chief priests and elders, people came and they said, by what authority do you do these things? Who gave you the authority? Guys, if you're not hearing Psalm 2 coming out at you right now, he's like, oh, who do you think you are? They're coming. Who do you think you are, Jesus? He said, I'll tell you. They dare question the authority of God's anointed. And he sets the record straight. He shows them how frail they are. He asked them by what authority John the Baptist did the things he did. Because they knew they were so weak. <laughs> because they were afraid because the political, uh, the polls were in John the Baptist's favor. And they dare not speak against John the Baptist. The people like John and the Pharisees just went, God does this to show them. You think you're in charge. You're not even in charge of your own opinion. You're afraid to even let it come out of your mouth because you're afraid of the people. And you ask me? Kind of like when Gideon cut down that tree. He said, you know, he's a God. Let him. Does he need you to stick up for him? Right? You're going to hurt me? Knowing they were too afraid to say what they thought, these brave leaders were fearful of speaking against someone the public like Jesus was forcing them to see their own weakness and cowardice. He offered them two parables about themselves. How they owned nothing. They were only stewards of the king who wielded real power and authority. Matthew 21, he continues 
When the husbandmen saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir, come let us kill him. And let us seize his inheritance. And they caught him and they cast him out of the vineyard and they slew him. And when the Lord therefore of the vineyard cometh, what will he do to them? He's giving them this parable and they're going, oh, wait a minute. Right? They said, well, he will miserably destroy these wicked men. And he will let out his vineyard to other husbandmen which shall render fruits for their season. Oh, Jesus. Oh, this is excellent. That's exactly what he would do. He said, did you never read the scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected the same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. This is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, they said, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation bringing forth fruit. And what he said here got my mind really whirling. It says, and whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken. They thought they were going to break it. It's like, like us. We, we're going to pull God out of heaven. No. He'll pull us right off the earth. Whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken, but to whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. What do you think Jesus was doing here, Andy? He was letting them know who had the power and who did not have the power. And when the chief priests and Pharisees heard this, they perceived that he spoke of them. Jesus let them know the real source of power. Men may appear to be powerful, but they are pawns. And what is no game at all? They are being played. They are not playing. He that sits in the heavens laughs at them as they flex, as if they are the source of the power themselves. The stone that they reject in their conceit, saying it is not good enough, becomes the chief cornerstone of a new kingdom that shall never and can never fail. They may fall on the stone to destroy it, but they will find themselves ground to powder. I won't go into this too much, but... If you, I studied all about grinding stones because I was hoping to find something good only to find out that nobody ever ground any grain by throwing it on a rock. Nobody ever ground a grain even by just throwing a rock on another. But it's one rock on top of the other grooved in a perfect cut scissor thing. I won't get into the whole thing. But it's amazing. These people are going to fall on the rock which is Christ and the rock of God is going to crush them to powder and grind them into fine flour. He was saying, I have the power, and the power is given to me by my Father. Fighting against God is futility itself. You cannot resist God any more than you can resist a coming tide, or you could instruct a hurricane, or order the sun to change its heavenly course. And yet, men try. This is evidence of our fallen nature, of our foolishness and pride. When we do this, we will find ourselves that we don't frustrate God. He just laughs. Not only will they have no effect upon his preordained outcome as they hope, they will accomplish his will. As they think they fight his yoke and run from his purposes, they pull the cords of the plow and break the soil open for the planting of the world and the new garden that he will create here. When they crucify the Lord, they thought that they had cast off his yoke, but they had added to their own misery and judgment. Had they not? They conspired together and they said, well, that's what we'll do. We'll kill him. And they killed him only to do what? To accomplish the will of God. And I love this too. This connects. And I know I've been preaching for a while, but I'm not going to stop. Andy read it for you, but now let's connect all the dots. At the same gate where Jesus had ridden in as their king, that beautiful gate, that Messiah gate, 
They had conspired against him to kill him there. God puts a man lame for 40 years. I, as, we, as, as, as you're reading that, I thought, what, what an incredible name of a book. 40 years lame. God makes a man lame for 40 years for this day. It's an amazing thing. Peter and John heal him, we know, in the name of Jesus. 40 years lame, but healed by the name. If I was in the old days, that's what I might preach it. But if you read about it, the most important people in the whole world came there. Andy, and this, this is not right. What you've done here and what you're teaching isn't right. It's not correct. And they're going to put a stop to it. Acts 4, as they spake the people, the priest, the captain of the temple, not the underling of the temple, the captain of the temple, the Sadducees, they were grieved that he taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them. They got a hold of them. They thought, we'll put our cords on them, but you can't put your cords on God's people. You can put your cords on them and find out that you're the one that has the cords on you. Pastor Nang, when they threw him in prison, he got down on his knees and began to pray. And the people gathered around him and said, oh, it's not so bad in here. Don't be afraid. It's not so bad in here. They feed us two or three times a day. And he said, oh, I am not pray because I am sad. I pray because I am thankful. I am thankful that now I have a place to preach the gospel. And the people I preach to have nowhere to go. You see, they thought they could put a yoke on Pastor Nang. And what they did is they yoked a bunch of men in a prison cell with him. And he preached the gospel to them. And one of them came to Christ. Thanks be to God. You cannot imprison a man of God. He finds that if, if God wants to, he can shake the prison doors and walls and break them open and an angel could come and break the bands and he can walk out or he could say I Paul the prisoner of the Lord I'm sitting in here and God won't let me out and the day is coming when they're going to even cut my head off but Lord it won't be them that does it it'll be you Lord you've locked me up in here and all you've given me is a pencil all you've given me is a little bit of parchment so I'm going to take that pencil and parchment and I'm going to do for you all I can do all I can serve you is with this little hand here Lord so he writes Galatians. <laughs> and he writes the prison epistles. He writes Ephesians. You see, they think they're binding him up. And what are they doing? They're setting him up. It's what the devil is ignorant of and what the world is ignorant of and what you and I should not be ignorant of. They can't lock us up. They can't stop us. That young man, John Chow, who went to that island off the coast of Myanmar... They shot him through with arrows this week. They killed him. They hung him. They got him by his neck. They drug him around. They buried him in the sand. They danced over his body. We'll live to hear that Christ came to that island. There will be no square inch of earth not under the rule of Christ. And the barbarians on that island are no different than the barbarians that live in our hearts that need to be conquered by God. Amen? Amen. I contacted a man on Facebook I was hoping to that would know this young man because I, I did some research and, and he said, yeah, I do know him. He said, in fact, he invited me to go to that island with him. 
He said he loved God. He said he died doing what he wanted to do most. He loved those people. It was his life's goal to go there and to bring them Christ. And yeah, they killed his body. So what? Because in heaven one day, his blood will speak out. Those people will say, you came for me. Some of them will come to know Christ. They laid their hands on them. They put hold of them. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed. <laughs> they locked them up. But many heard believed. Not just a little bit, Jason. Five thousand. You see, God determines the size of our revivals. It came to pass on the morrow that the rulers, everybody said the rulers, the elders, the scribes, the high priest, his father-in-law, all their relatives. You know who was here? The man that Peter cut his ear off. It doesn't say it, but it says all the relatives were here. And we know this man was a relative. Here he is with his ear restored on the side of his head by Jesus. And he's here. Malchus is here. And when they set them in their midst, they asked, by what power? You see, that's what the world never ceases to do, Derek. They never cease to wonder by what power we do what we do. And we should never cease to forget it isn't by our might. It isn't by our power. It's not by our determination. It's not by our compassion. It's not by our hard work. But it is by the power of God. Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said, You people of Israel, you elders and rulers, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, the lame man, by what means he was made whole, be it known unto all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand before you whole. He is the stone which the builders said was no good. God made it the head of the corner. You see, the world would look at you and say, you're not capable. You can't do it. You don't have the degree. You don't have the education. You don't have the strength. You don't have the influence. And God says, oh, really? The rock they said was no good. The one they threw out wasn't good enough even to be a cornerstone. He said, oh, that's going to be the one that's going to be the cornerstone. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And being let go, they went their way. I love it. They let them go. They went their way. God was saying, you think you've got them. You think you've got them roped. You think you can stop them. You can't even shut their mouths. And when they heard it, they lifted up their voice and they prayed Psalm 2. That's what we ought to do. When they heard it, they lifted up their voice with God and they said, Oh Lord, if, you, if, if you're worried that you don't know how to pray, learn the Psalms. These guys knew in their moment, Oh Lord, here's a Psalm that fits. O oh Lord, thou art God which made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? 
The kings of the earth stood up. The rulers were gathered against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against this holy child Jesus whom thou hast anointed. Both Herod, and I love how he names the powers. Both Herod and Pontius Pilate and the Gentiles and the people of Israel. All of them gathered together against him. But guess what? All they did, verse 28. All they did is whatsoever your hand and your counsel had determined before that they would do. God drew it. He erased it. He changed it. He showed them what was up. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings. He's mocking them. Lord, look at them. They're threatening us. The Lord of glory came and did exactly what he wanted to do. And they're threatening us as if they can do anything to us. Folks, I'm telling you, this was a big day for Peter and John. They're like, behold, they're threatening. If you don't think they were laughing when they said this, then you are missing it. Behold, behold, they're threatening. They think they can stop you, God. And now, Lord, behold, they're threatening. And grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. By stretching forth thy hand to heal. And that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. And when they prayed the place was shaken. There was an earthquake folks. There's an earthquake recorded at this time in biblical history. An earthquake happened. I thought someone was making this up. But there was an earthquake that happened in Jerusalem at this time. God says I can shake the world. I can move a mountain. I can cast it into the sea. I'm God. And they were filled with the Holy Ghost and they began to speak the word of God with boldness. Do we speak the word of God with boldness? Are we shy and meek about who the King and Lord of glory is? Some of us would be more likely to stick out our chest and say, Donald Trump's my president. I'm going to say, Jesus is my king. So why did the heathen rage? People imagine vain things. The kings of the earth set themselves, the rulers against to take counsel against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. What will God do? He that sitteth in the heavens shall, he shall laugh. He shall have them in derision. He will mock them. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. And we will end with verse 6 here. What does David say he will do? He says, they, they're gonna, God's going to laugh at them. God's going to punish them. But what am I going to do? He says, I have set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. And I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth. For thy possession. They think they're going to break your bands. But verse 9 says. You're going to break them. With a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them into pieces. Like a potter's vessel. So what do we do? It says be wise now therefore. O you kings be instructed judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. But they say I want to serve the Lord with fear. And rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun. 
Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. How many want to put their trust in God today? Want to obey God's commands? Want to repent of our casting off of his commands and of being willful and doing it our own way? Let us pray. Lord, may we hear the thunder of Psalm 2 echoing within our hearts today. May we hear the great bravado and the great swagger of the King of Heaven who laughs at His enemies, who mocks them, and who will crush them into powder. Lord, I pray today, Lord, that we would not walk as they walk, that we would not live as they live, that we would not tremble before them, but we would tremble before You and You alone. May we be people who fear no men, but we do fear you, Lord. May we be people who will not be put under the yoke of sin, but we will be put under your yoke, for your yoke is easy and your burden is light, and we will find rest to our souls. In Christ's name we pray, and all the church said, Amen. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.